Hello Bay Talk podcast with Caroline, where we talk with local businesses and keep up to date with all things local in Sydney's inner west. Hi, I'm Caroline, host of the show and founder of Bay Talk. Special thanks to my son Richard for producing the intro music. Today I am joined by Susie Petrozzi, speaker, mentor, coach and clinical psychologist. With over 13 years working as a clinical psychologist, Susie is an expert in the field of wellness, psychology and human potential. Throughout the years, she has been asked to speak at companies such as Qantas, CPA Australia and LinkedIn. I am thrilled that Susie is here today to speak with us. Hi Susie, thanks so much for, for joining me today, albeit via Zoom, but that's, that's the new norm. Hi Caroline, thank you for having me. I, I, you know, I appreciate that we can even connect this way and this is where technology is coming so handy and I think we're appreciating it more than what we ever have before. Yeah, I don't know how we would have done this in the past. <laughs> Fun time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to hearing what you um, have to say about today's topic on imposter syndrome. It's something that many of us may have heard of and may have also experienced but don't actually realise quite what it actually is. So can you just let us know, what is imposter syndrome? Okay, so imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon, also known as impostering, also known as imposter fears, is really this sense that, you know, a person believes that they, they're kind of um, a fake or they don't have what it takes to do what they need to do. And even when they succeed, like if they're really successful in their life, somehow they're not able to internalise that success. And they put it down to maybe luck or they put it down to hard work. So it's interesting because um, I think that now, particularly, it's interesting to look at this phenomenon and we can, we can kind of talk about that as, we, as our conversation unfolds. Um, but I, I think that in this day and age, um, imposterism has kind of expanded in a way where we have imposterism where it's kind of self-imposed, if you will. So um, that sense of feeling like um, I don't have the, the intellectual capacity that others think that I have, or it doesn't even have to be intellectual capacity. But then one of the things that I want to get to talk to with you, Caroline, later on is this sense of imposterism that is imposed by our environment, especially in corporations, uh, because of this dysfunctional competition, because of uh, focus on productivity and um, resources. I think we can talk about that later on. So is, does this, is this sort of situations that you're talking about, what causes it? Like what actually causes people to, to go down this path of feeling like an imposter? Yeah, such a good question, but one that I can't give you a straightforward answer to because even when, when I've looked at research around this area, there, re, there aren't causative factors as such. There are links, there are um, uh, kind of associations. So people who display a lot of, how can I say this? So people who experience impostering. So let me do, impostering is more like I experience it every now and then, but it's not like all pervasive. And, and so imposter, imposter phenomenon or syndrome would be more like something that we find in people that 
are so bound by it and they're, they're you know, so, so driven by it and consumed by it, okay? So there's kind of the two groups. You have the more clinical um, definition of it that is found in people who are really affected by this. And then you have, um, I don't want to say even a healthier sense, but one that affects all of us because it, it, it happens in about 80% of cases. Like people will experience it, 80% of people are experiencing it at one point in time. Now, going back to causative factors, or shall I say, um, what kind of, well, what is it associated with? What we know from research is there are a lot of factors in the background. So you may have grown up in a family where success was unusual. And so when you experience success in your own life as an entrepreneur, or maybe you progress um, up a ladder in your work, um, it can be downplayed in a family where success is not um, something that um, is common, right? So that can be one reason. Another reason can be uh, another kind of uh, contributing factor maybe that um, uh, there was a lot of conflict at home. You had an environment where, family environment where, you know, anger wasn't something that was ex. Uh, Sorry, anger was something that was expressed. So you just work hard and you try to try to do good and try to um, produce something really good, so that somehow you would still be acknowledged. That you know you would be acknowledged in your efforts to make to be seen, if you will, or to be positively reinforced. But see, positive reinforcement is commonly absent in people who experience this. So, so particularly asking for absent from their family. Um, warmth wasn't necessarily present. So that's specifically when we talk about parenting practices. But the comments, so with all of these things that I'm talking about, it isn't like um, a very significant factor, but the most significant factor that we can say is associated with imposterism is, can you take a guess? Family. Family, yes, but more specifically, actually, I should give you a clue when it comes to personality traits, what we find is... What we find is <laughs> perfectionism... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, I can identify with some of that or have been. Actually, somebody said something to me and I can't remember who it was and they said, done is better than perfect and that was such a relief. Yeah. Just to hear that, like, oh, okay, yeah. that's true. Because if you keep striving for perfection, I mean... It's just not going to happen. No, it's, it's so true. And, you know, um, Caroline, one of the things that I'm picking up in my kids is they've started saying, uh, what's that saying? Uh, progress makes perfect. And I've started correcting them saying progress. Uh, no, sorry. Progress makes perfect. Uh, pro yeah. Uh, no, practice makes perfect. That's the saying. So that's something that they've been saying. Maybe it's through school they've picked it up. What I've been saying to them, and I'm mindful of this myself, is no, uh, pra uh, progress makes practice. No, practice makes progress. <laughs> practice <laughs> makes progress because essentially that's, yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah, a little bit each day. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, just like, so when you're saying that that's, you know, the family and the perfectionism and stuff, what can we, just you mentioned with children, what can we actually, so I know this isn't something we said we'd discuss, but what as parents can we do to ensure that, well, not, we can't control it, but to try and safeguard our children from suffering from it when they're 
older. Mm, I'm glad you're asking that question. I'm so glad you're asking that question because I think as parents, as community, as society, as schooling, we need to focus on that. And I do believe that there is more of space being given to that. So how about I give you an example and then we can, <laughs> I can answer that question. So when homeschooling started or when children started schooling from home um, not so long ago, I found myself, especially with the younger one, um, helping her in my definition of helping. And that helping was really focused on nailing things and, and getting through things. And, I, and in this one moment, I had this epiphany. I was watching myself and I thought, actually, you're really, you're being ridiculous right now <laughs> because I was focusing so much on, on the outcome, on getting the spelling right, on getting this right, which is, what's that doing? Reinforcing perfectionism. And then I stepped away from it and I had the, I had, I actually interviewed um, Jill Sweetman, who is an expert on neuroscience and learning potential and brain potential. And uh, since interviewing her, one of the things that I've really become so much more aware is this uh, process, focusing on process rather, rather than outcome. So to go back to your question, how can we support our kids uh, really encouraging the process, you know, like speaking to my daughter, Amelia, Amelia, I can see how hard that was for you, but you know what? I noticed that you really stayed with that. Maybe it took her three hours, <laughs> but through that she learned something. And because I didn't interfere and I allowed her to take her time because in that time, my gosh, was she um, embodying so many different skills. So to answer the question, I think that one of the ways that we can encourage our children, particularly now, um, because we have so much an influence, we have so much of, a, I guess, a role in teaching them and shaping them now that they're doing school from home, is really encouraging them to focus on, on the process of how they're doing something. What are the qualities that they bring in to that um, my older daughter is very keen on finishing her work. That doesn't mean she's not doing the work properly. But what I'm encouraging her is, look, it's great that you're really keen and enthusiastic about doing your work, but let's, let's have a break, you know. Let's move the body. Let's move your body a little bit. So all of those things are important uh, that, folk, that really bring the child's attention to their own unique abilities of how they were able to do this. So that in, the, in, you know, to go back to your question, we can then later on prevent or at least minimise how much of an imposter or how much of those qualities they take on because of our own doing. Mm, yeah, because it's, it's a very scary thing, isn't it, thinking what damage we can do to our children <laughs> without meaning to. <laughs> All the best yeah. intentions. Um, but you know what? Sorry, I just want to add to that. Uh, they're forgiving. We have to be forgiving. They're resilient too and you know so so are we yeah so just that kind of bringing up the homeschooling now that we're in this COVID-19 era um how is imposter syndrome relevant for living during COVID-19 are you specifically talking about the kids or generally general, in general generally so I was really thinking about this because one of the things that I mentioned when we started the when we started the interview is that a lot of people are at home, aren't they, from work? And I'd imagine that maybe they're not as affected by 
the immediate environment at work, which is so much about driving, driving, driving. That's not to say they don't have to do their work. But I wonder if that dysfunctional um, competition that I talked about, the unhealthy competition of, um, and that competition may play out at work by, um, you know, who gets the credit for doing something, who gets the credit for the most KPIs, because let me tell you, that is so real. I hear stories from my clients who get applauded. They are given bonuses for for KPIs. And what are we focusing on? We're focusing on products, on outcomes, on productivity. And it's almost like to say productivity only happens when we work our hardest. Productivity only happens when... Um, we compromise family, we compromise time, hours. And this is true for those who particularly also um, have bought into shares in corporations. And so every time they put in is reflected in how those shares are yeah. doing. Yeah you're, 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 yeah, you're you're getting what I'm saying. And unfortunately, that has very dire consequences. So going back to your original question, how is... How is that being played out now? I think that there is such opportunity now to really step away from, because we're not in the immediacy of that work environment, that we're in our own home. So to redefine our values, what it is that's really important to us, it can be individually, what it is that it's important to us as, as, a, as a family unit, no doubt that that is something that we're all working through or being touched, touched by because of um, uh, isolation. And how is my work helping with that? Is it aligned with my values? Is it, is it um, supporting my values? Is it helping me to be more aligned with who I am as a person? Um, and... And if it's not, then it, you might start to reevaluate. Um, well, you know, I've got the rest. I, I've got the rest of my life. How do I want to see my life play out? Do I want to see my life play out um, trying to be someone that I'm not, thinking that this is what I have to do, and pushing myself, spreading myself as thin as I can be, only to at what cost? Like, who's going to remember that? So these, these are the, some of the questions that I'm having a conversations that I'm having in rooms with clients and they're, they're real. I mean, I'm, I'm privy to that and I feel very, um, I feel that I'm in a privileged position to be able to have those conversations and to help people shape their lives around how is it that they want to live their life. But it's not an easy answer because in order for that to shift, um, we need to have open conversations around that, which you and I are having, but I think it needs to be at so many different levels. Yeah, exactly. So what I have heard from a lot of people is them saying that as much as everyone is busting to get back out there, there's also that feeling of, I don't know if I want to go back out there like it is, yeah. like it was. And so like you're just saying, people are reassessing what is important to them, the, what values do they really hold higher than um, sitting in traffic for two hours, working a 60-hour week or whatever people are doing mm. and forgetting about what's important. So do you think that there's a place um, for us in the future to actually be able to take hold of what we've learned over this time and put this into place after the COVID-19 era, the having more time with family? Yeah. Yeah, wow. What, a, what an important question, Caroline, and I really want to... I want to sit with that because there are so many layers to that and it's a question that we need to continue to 
be asking ourselves. I'm going to answer it following. Uh, I'm going to answer it um, having listened to a brilliant podcast this morning. Um, it was the, what's the podcast name? Oh, gosh, it escapes me now. But it's um, hosted by Barry Lieberman, who um, is the publisher of Dumbo Feather. I don't know if you've heard of the magazine. She is brilliant in terms of the um, narratives and the dialogues that she um, has that encompasses so many different layers. So here's what, so she's having an interview with then three Jungian analysts, which is just incredible. You know, it's the kind of angle on things that you don't get in everyday conversations. And this is what they talk about, which is how I want to answer the question. So I give my credit to them. Um, so they're saying that when we're in a crisis, when we're in a challenging moment, one of the first things that we as humans want to do is we want to fix it. And you think back to the Australian bushfires, of course. And the same thing with COVID. Um, that's a natural human response. And to some degree, we I suppose we have to do that. We have to curtail things. But what, what some of these situations do for us is that they evoke and they bring up a lot of unpleasant, uncomfortable feelings, hence also our need to want to go and fix things very quickly and change things. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that they were talking about, what if we took the time to first be with our own discomfort? And, of course, that's not to say that we just let whatever happens kind of go to chaos but as we're addressing whatever needs to be addressed that we bring whatever pain we have the suffering that's within us we bring that to the table as well not push it aside because the minute that we push that aside what they so beautifully acknowledge and i'm i really believe that with at the core of me is that the minute we push something aside it's going to come up and play out in a different scenario in a different way so to answer your question again, I think that this is something that we need to keep revi- revisiting. I don't think things are um, going to change that quickly. I think it's going to be a very stepwise process and maybe sometimes it will be also a very intense process. I think we need to, as individuals, we need to um, be working on really acknowledging and knowing the pain that is within us, the overwhelm of what is happening in the world. I don't know about you, Caroline, but I, I go through so many different waves of emotions. You know, yesterday was a very, no, not yesterday. Yesterday was a great day because I had one of them at school. <laughs> so I got a lot of stuff done the day before. I was at my wit's end. You know, I couldn't, I just, I was overwhelmed and I kind of had enough of everything. And so I then I acknowledged that because I saw myself going into wanting to blame different things and different people and very complicated instructions on the Google Classroom. So I could, it's interesting how we always want to try and project what we're experiencing. So um, the, I think that in all of this, we have to work within our own selves and really integrate the parts of us that we don't like because whenever we're not doing that then the world around us we're going to be judging it we're going to be reacting to it and it's going to be an endless cycle kind of like with imposterism you know we're going to be going around cycles working really really hard to produce outcomes and then when we get outcomes we're going to be saying well um, that's because I worked really hard or that's she like it has nothing to do with me And then we're kind of spinning our wheels and not really getting anywhere. 
Actually, and something that's kind of similar to this, but with that feeling of that overwhelmment and then not getting anywhere, I the new trick that I've learned is to remember that nobody else actually knows what I was meant to have got done today. Only I know. And when I remember Brilliant. that, it's like, oh, actually, that's okay. I'm just going to get that done today. And the next thing can be done tomorrow. But other times it's like, oh, I'm going to look like I've failed. I'm going to look like I can't keep up. But I'm the only one that knows. And just yeah. reminding myself that I'll just get one thing done. And, and that, that's brilliant. I love that. That's brilliant. Because it does, yeah, you can feel a little bit like you're on display and everyone knows your failings, but nobody actually does. <laughs> but, yeah. And so what you're learning to, well, what you're doing is harnessing that. You're learning how to harness, um, well, let's go, I, I don't want to impose this on you, this label, but let's, if we're talking about impostering, because we all have those little fears of, oh, um, I haven't got what it takes or, you know, I'm going to be like a um, fraud or like a fake or whatever it is because people think I've got all this down pat. But really, I I did Jack Hall today because because <laughs> that's how it felt. But the, yeah. the, with, with what we're in at the moment, we're, we're homeschooling. And so we're exactly. and with, yeah. with, with everything. And it's such a such an um, abnormal situation. So how do we harness that? Like, how do we um, harness that? And I and you know, I love what what you what you said. And I think that we have to bring that lens to to what's happening at the moment. How do and and if we're specifically talking about impost in um, imposter syndrome or impostering, um, you know, one of the so in. In, in, in kind of re, in preparation research for our talk today because I wanted to know a little bit about, well, what are some other people talking about this? And what was interesting is Mike Cannon-Brooks, uh, the owner or the CEO of Atlassian. So he has this amazing talk and um, TED Talk. It's about 10 minutes long, worth watching. And what he says is that... Um, as, you know, as an entrepreneur, he experiences this more often than what you, you know, we might think, as do a lot of successful people. Um, and the way that he, he approaches it is use that to kind of move, move forward. He talks about it as, you know, just when you have an idea to really unpack your ideas, to examine them, to develop them and to work with them. So rather than use, rather than questioning yourself, he talks about questioning the ideas that's specifically to ideas. And I think it's such a nice, um, I think it's such a healthy approach to anything really, questioning yourself, but to question, well, you know, even to question, why do I feel like this? What is it that drives this? Which you would know that, you know, this is that I would always do this so that you can get to the underlying sabotaging belief because we all have these sabotaging beliefs. What drives this? I mean, imposterism, you know, um, is is built on on the foundation of a lot of these negative beliefs like hard you know you can't achieve anything without hard work or hard work is you know is the only way to success um and yet when it happens they will they will uh, refuse they're unable to internalize their success fear of failure it's going to be perfect all that kind of stuff so to really to really own that you know to own those sabotages to own those beliefs, um, in other words, make them conscious, name them, work with them, and 
and to own our, you know, our capabilities. Like we need to do that because no one's going to do that for us. And in times like this, we all have such, sorry, sorry, I just want to finish one thing. In times like this, this is what I wanted to say. We each have unique um, skills, unique gifts, unique um, combination of who we are. And if that's ever needed, um, if, that's, if that's ever been needed, it's now that we really step up as who we are and we bring that to what the situation calls. So for me, what I've been noticing about myself is that I'm needing to be more direct, more open with people in my sessions because you know what? There is no time to, um, I guess, to, to be something that you're not. And people appreciate me being more hard, I wouldn't say harsh, I'm, I can be lovingly tough um, yeah. and people appreciate that in situations. Yeah, so I think that there's no time like now to really step up in and, and to own, you know, who we are, what skills we have, what we're capable of, what gifts we have and deep down we know that. But also the important thing is to own the things that we're so afraid of, the things that we think if we are found out for those, um, that we're going to become annihilated. We're going to end up on the street or something like that. You know, our worst kind of fear. That is the worst fear for people if you really unpack it. <laughs> Look, there's, what, there's just two things I wanted to, to add. As you are saying with the, mm. um, with the imposter syndrome that we're telling ourselves that it's hard work is what we have to do to succeed, but then when we do succeed, well, the imposter does succeed, they don't put it down to their own hard work. They put it down to luck. So that contradiction of that sort of hypocrisy in your own thinking. Um, and another thing I wanted to add was uh, a man, Shane, he sent an, an email. He runs a, a, a network group that I go to. And he sent an email of a person looking in the mirror and identifying it as um, the big magnifying glass. And that, that's what COVID-19 is, being a big magnifying glass that we've really been able to look inside ourselves and see what is our personality, what's really coming out and showing out really strongly, like you were saying. Um, mm -hmm. It sort of elaborates um, whether we're going to be... Uh, just the different things that you were just talking about. Yeah. I've just lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, but that's powerful imagery, isn't it, when you share that? I think, wow, that really bypasses the thinking mind and gets to the core of us, like that image that, that Shane sent you. Yeah, it, it was really good and it really resonated with me and I just lost my train of thought, but um, it kind of coincided with what, with what you're saying. Um, mm. lockdown time. It's what true, isn't it? Ourselves. We're learning so much more about ourselves. Yeah, um, we are. I am. <laughs> I'm learning how impatient I am and how oh, yeah. <laughs> patient I can be. It's like, so here's the thing, right, that... And I think this is the other, this is, I would say that this is also what we're needing to learn. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, that they're, they're, we're always in this kind of um, dichotomy, like this dialectic, which could potentially be a fight, that here I am being patient and or I'm learning how to be more patient or I thought I was patient with this particular aspect, let's say my daughter on some part of schooling. And then here's me the next day going, you know, judging myself being so impatient, saying the things I said. I thought you learned this in kindergarten. You should know this by now. <laughs> right? 
But then how can I, you know, the trick for me is to go, okay, I accept those two opposing forces. And one of the things that I'm, I'm trying my best to do, how can I be with these two opposing things so that something else, some new truth or some new realisation emerges? Mm-hmm. And I feel that we're all being pushed into that you know, instead of judging someone, you know, say the name Trump, say the name whatever. Okay, so I don't agree with what he's doing on some aspect. How can I come to a place of acceptance that he is the leader right now? Uh, this is just an example. Yeah. That's a potentially triggering name in the world right now. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't think it matters these days. <laughs> And a good barometer. Say it's going to trigger. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it is so true. Yeah, yeah, it's It's so interesting. There's just just such heightened emotions going on in the world that massive reactions are heightened. I think. Yeah, massive. And it's interesting to um, you know talk to our little little ones about that and to see how they see the world and what's important to them and and then to become a little bit grounded in that which might be well you know they find grounding in things that like that they like so in my household there's endless conversations about horses and horse stables and all horse accessories and then there's conversations around being kind and being loving and saying and forgiving and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when I hear those things, I, it grounds me. Yeah. There's exactly. so much to learn from them. So I just, now with imposter syndrome, like we can all face it at some stage in our lives or, um, but how do you know if it's actually at a point that you need help? Um, if you've got it and you actually need help to work through it. Is there a mm. line that you cross? Yeah. Mm, okay. Is there a line that you cross? I think that's going to be dependent on what do you want out of life? How do you want to show up in your life? And sometimes people come to a crossroad and say, I'm done with this. And that's a great place to be in. I think if you find it all pervasive, if it affects your relationships, if it affects your energy, your health, your outlook on life, it's time to, um, it's time to seek help, whether that be from um, uh, the counselling profession, psychologist or mentor or somebody else. But what research does show, Caroline, is if you want help, it's best to speak to people outside of your circles, particularly around imposterism. Um, they found this... Um, uh, they found this on college students. So in a, it's an American-based study. They found that uh, they could work through that only if um, they found somebody who was from the outside because that other person could provide a different re- reference point for their life and kind of help them focus on the bigger picture. Whereas when you're talking to somebody that knows you well, maybe even your friends, um, one of the things I say, it's almost like, both of you don't know what's on the tip of your noses, so it's hard to separate from that. Okay. So I would encourage finding and finding. It's like for anything, isn't it? If we need a new perspective, if we need needing to be pushed and stretched, and we want to grow and we want to rediscover or, or get to know ourselves more, well, then find somebody outside of your circle to 
um, to help you through that, but specifically imposterism, because it comes down to looking at your looking at your fears and for anyone to speak about that they need to feel safe yeah yeah you can't just rock up with that can you and not feel safe no yeah mm. yeah so i hope that answers your question yeah look mm. i don't know if there have you got anything else that you think would be um of interest to the listeners um i think one of the things that uh comes to mind is um Liz Gilbert's words, I think, in her book, Magic, is it The Big Magic? There's a book that she wrote and she talks about how she deals with anxiety and fear, particularly when it comes to writing books. So one of the things that she, um, that she experienced was after her first book, Eat, Pray, Love, she, experienced, she had tremendous success. And then writing her next book, um, was really hard because everyone was saying, well, how can you, how can you outdo that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then she started to question herself. But what she learned to do, and I really like her because she's pretty down to it, is that whenever this voice kind of comes up, whenever fear comes up, and imposterism is fear, an element of fear, is that she has a one-on-one with that, you know, with, <laughs> with that part of herself, if you will. It's like, li- listen, I know you're here, I get it, but I'm kind of not interested because I'm, this is what I'm committed to. You are not serving me a purpose right now. So essentially what she's doing, she's acknowledging it. It's like, listen, dude, I get it. You're here, but I'm not interested. It's like if there was a a guy who was interested in you romantically, it's like, dude, no, you know, you set a boundary. It's like, no, you're not for me. Um, And then I just want to reinforce what Adam Grant talks about. He's a um, psychologist and he's got a um, book. What's the book? What's the book he wrote? I've got it written here. Originals. And he differentiates two doubts. He differentiates the self-doubt, which is the one that can make us freeze, you know, particularly when we're feeling like um, we're an imposter, we don't have what it takes, that we're a fraud. Um, And then uh, doubt, when we doubt about our ideas or when we doubt about something exciting that we're working on, is to really channel that energy into examining your ideas, uh, kind of, unpacking them testing them so put that put that kind of anxiety into that channel it into that okay so don't fight it use it don't fight it use it and that's how we harness it Mm. Mm. thank you so much Susie you've shared so much with us and um if anybody wants to get in contact with you what's um are you happy to share your number just to Give people give you a call if they want to. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, oh, uh, so oh four double one one four eight nine two one, or actually maybe call. Actually, you know what might be better? Call the practice because I don't have my yeah. um. Uh, nine five one eight double zero nine six. We're located in Leichhardt, but hey, you know we're working with <laughs> Zoom mostly. Well, I am, and so um, that's available as well. And we have um, mental health care plans that are available. So that's something that I've been using with people at the moment, which has been um, super helpful for them. And just have a chat. If you're not sure, just talk to me. Don't feel like you're, um, like, you know, you're locked into something that it's too scary. Uh, yeah, just trust your intuition. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Susie.
Thank okay. you, Caroline. Appreciate this time. <laughs>